We've got a great day today. Years ago, the world's most famous preacher had a son who was a rebel and he was raising hell and running from God. And one night that preacher invited his son, the preacher and his wife invited that son, come eat with me. So they took him out to eat. And after they got done eating, he said, son, come with me. I want you to take a walk with me. So they went and they walked through the little garden there at that restaurant. And it was during that walk that that preacher turned around and confronted his son and said, you got to make a decision. You got to either go all in for Jesus or you got to walk away from him. What are you going to do? And at night, that son made a decision. I'm going all in for Jesus. And he began to follow Jesus. And Billy Graham, his son's name was Franklin, picked up the phone, called a guy named Ed Williams in Boone and said, my son's going in ministry. He's decided to follow Jesus. And two dentists allowed them to have a little small office upstairs in their dental practice. And that's where Samaritan's Purse was born. Samaritan's Purse became, has become the largest, greatest, most powerful relief, Christian relief organization in the world. And son, I'm telling you, where other people run out, they run in. They just tell us where's the worst place on earth, where are the biggest messages there are, that's where they run to. And it is, it's just, you can only explain it by God at what they're doing. And uh, by accident, almost one time, a little shoebox ministry was born out of a request from war-torn Bosnia. And they took, it didn't, it wasn't fancy like that. I think it had Adidas written on the first ones. And the, a church in Charlotte packed some boxes and they sent them to war-torn Bosnia and was born the shoebox ministry. This has become the greatest evangelistic tool in my lifetime. I don't know of anything that has won more kids, millions of children and families have come to Jesus. Just through that simple shoebox all around the world. Millions of kids get them now. We did this when we were young. My wife has packed about half of the millions of boxes that have gone out through there. When our kids were little, we'd, they'd collect and then she'd have these packing parties. They're still required in their old age to come back home and have packing parties. And we still do this. And this is one of the greatest ministers. We've got our friends from Boone this morning with us. You're fixing to hear one of the greatest miracle stories I've ever heard in my life from a young man. How many of you remember years ago in the, in the beautiful country of Rwanda, the genocide and the war that took place? And y'all remember that years ago? One of the young men that was right in the middle of that is here with us this morning. A tremendous testimony. And I love Samaritan's Purse. I'm a Samaritan's Purse nut. I'll cut you over them. I love this crowd. We've been partnering with them for years. We're glad to have them. And Lynn Rinst is our, our, she's the director's partner here. She's with us today. She, her husband's a pastor. They live in Georgia. She collects combat pay because she's a pastor's wife. You become one, you'll figure that out. But we're glad to hear today. We got a little video real quick to introduce you to Samaritan's Purse and she's going to share with us. So we're glad you guys are here. All right, boys, let her rip, Tater Chip. This is the worship that God desires to break the chains of injustice, to lift the heavy burdens, to set the prisoner free, to feed the hungry, to give a home to the homeless to clothe the naked, and to be there for your family. He took the sins to the cross, and he died in our place, and God raised his son to life. Christ is alive, he is at the right hand of God the Father, and he's coming back. And that, that is when the light pierces the darkness, when true healing begins, where righteousness paves the way before you and the glory of God protects you. And when you cry out to God, where are you? 
He answers, I am here. I am here. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. He is the God who is here. He is Emmanuel, the God who has come to be with us. My name is Lynn Reinstra. I am a regional director for church engagement with Samaritan's Purse, and what a privilege it is to be with you, Lamb's Chapel. We consider you one of our key church partners. Where we go, you go. What we do, y'all are doing. And everything we do is done in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise him. I'm here today on behalf of Franklin Graham to give you our gratitude and a, and a brief report on what you've what we've all been a part of and what you've been a part of through the work of Samaritan's Purse this year in 2020. Boy, when I was here one year ago, would we ever have guessed that this year we would see a global pandemic? It was brewing in Wuhan, China and took off uh, the end of January, February, and on it goes. Would we ever have guessed we'd be facing, you know, racial unrest and economic upheaval? And yet God knew it all and he had a plan and he's been at work in and through us and sometimes in spite of us. Can I get an amen? He's been with us. So since 1997, your church has invested, and I use that word purposefully, every month since 2007, I believe that's accurate, your church has invested in this gospel proclamation. Wonderful, excellent, selfless service work done in the name of Jesus as a platform for gospel proclamation. That's what we're all doing together through Samaritan's Purse. Luke 10, let's move on. Actually, let me tell you a little bit about this. This is a picture from Beirut, Lebanon. How many of you heard about that terrible explosion that happened about six, seven weeks ago? Uh, unbelievable. You've seen the videos. In one second, this massive explosion, 5,000 people are seriously injured, four hospitals wiped out, 300,000 people homeless in an instant. And because of our partnership, we got to show up there in Jesus' name, in Beirut, Lebanon. Are you hearing me? with the gospel. And this is a picture from a local church. It's a CMA church partner we've had for many, many years. They have four locations across the city. And we just put, we just put tools in the hands of the local church. Do you see that second sentence of our mission statement? We exist to serve the local church and strengthen y'all as God's plan A for proclamation of the good news of Jesus. We also get to run to these ditches that Jesus told us about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you remember Luke 10? verses 25 to 37. Some of you are good Samaritans. You'll stop and help somebody change their tire. Well, it all came from that story of a guy who got left for dead in a ditch, done in by robbers, and the two religious leaders who were too busy to be bothered. But the Samaritan, the last person you'd ever expect to come and stop and help, was moved with compassion. And he crossed the road, and he helped the guy. And our work mirrors what he did for him. So he put him on his donkey. That's logistics. And God has blessed Samaritan's Purse over 50 years. We turned 50 this year with tremendous expertise in, in logisticians and logistics. He also uh, bandaged, bandaged his wounds. Think of our medical work. Uh, 42 partnering field hospitals in 34 countries around the globe today helping to heal people in Jesus' name. He provided food and water, and we do that all all over the globe through 17 field offices and on and on it goes running towards ditches where people are sitting uh, in terrible need of help war 
poverty, disaster, famine, and can I get a witness, disease, for those who've, who've been affected by COVID, et cetera. Here's a picture of what happened on March 17th. So the World Health Organization had heard about Samaritan's Purse ability to deploy a field hospital from 2016, Ecuador earthquakes, 2017, Iraq field hospital, I told you about it last year, uh, and on and on, it's gone. That old 50-year-old DC-8, we got from an old boneyard out in Arizona, retrofitted it. It flies out of Greensboro, not far from here. And on that day, March 17th, we were in the air when nobody else was in the air. We were bringing uh, real help to northern Italy that was overrun with COVID. In a hospital of 600 beds, 100 of those beds were filled with their doctors and their nurses fighting for their life. And the word went out. And the word got to us that we could make a difference. And we prayed and said, Lord, is this for us to do? And he said, yes, get at it. And in five days, five days from the call to help to that day, because of the favor and help of God, we were able to fill that DC-8 full of a field hospital and 30 key medical staff. Off they went, leaving their own families and their own crisis to go serve others in Jesus' name. It's what we do, it's how we roll. And what a privilege and honor it was to meet a guy named Umberto who didn't know the Lord Jesus. He was a middle-aged man. He got hit hard by the virus. He's on a ventilator. He's going to die unless he gets help. And we get to show up in Jesus' name and take care of him. And he said, you know, there's something different about you all. Everything you do is about this Jesus. I heard about him as a boy because I'm a lapsed Catholic, but I want to know Jesus, and I want to understand what it means to be a follower of him the rest of my life. You see, that's why we get up in the morning. And that's why your partnership is so powerful, Lord. Uh, from the Lord. Let's go on. Let's talk about, uh, this looks, uh, you can see the social distancing and you can see the masks. This is a child maternal health class in Cambodia. And we had to break through a lot of barriers this year to continue our work. But our 17 field offices around the globe uh, continued. Everybody stayed on board, did the work um, with uh, COVID in mind where we were able to feed a whole lot of folks. Because here's what happens, friends. When you're already living living on the edge and then a global pandemic happens and you lose your job and you can't feed your kids, you're in a whole world of hurt. And how powerful it is when we get to show up in Jesus' name and put food in people's mouths and tell them it's come from a God who hasn't forgotten them. More than that, we get to work all over the country here in the U.S. and help folks who've gotten wiped out by disasters to, first of all, clean out and then rebuild their homes. Do you know we're still building 1,000 homes in Houston after Hurricane Harvey? Praise the Lord. And this is a picture of what a widow or a single mom and her kids receive the day they get their house back or get a brand new house because they just had a, you know, um, they just had a, um, not a double wide, what's the word I'm looking for here? A trailer, yeah, they, they were living in a trailer house and, and it got beat up by the storm and it was, no, was of no use to them. So we build them a small house. And on the day when they, they get the bill, you know, this much for a roof, this much for a new kitchen, whatever it is, uh, $74,267. And guess what it says on top? You can see it. Paid in full, paid in full. And they say, why would you do this for us? And we get to say, here's why. Because when we were sitting in the ditch of our sin and rebellion against God, 
He sent Jesus. Jesus crossed the road for us. And that's why we've come to serve you. Whether it's Umberto in Cremona, Italy, or whether it's this gal and her, her kids who never have to worry about a mortgage payment again, we come in Jesus' name. Let's go on. Can you see on the left that nurse, one of our SP nurses, uh, has some tape on her back. We, will, we would pray these medical staff into their shifts, 12-hour shifts. Uh, and on the back, it says Psalm 23, Psalm 91. Blessed is he who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty. You better know you're in the shelter of the Almighty when you go to take care of somebody who's very sick and can give it to you. On, on we go. Next. Uh, and actually, what's most encouraging about this is we didn't see God uh, slow us down. We didn't, say, say, t we didn't hear God say, stay home and, and, you know, don't put yourself at risk. What he said was, I am the Lord and I am with you. And I've put resources and now tremendous gospel opportunities in front of you, so go for it. And our 17 field offices this year in a year of COVID, in a year of economic stress, turned into 34 countries through other uh, gospel partners. Praise the Lord for that. We give God the praise for that. It meant more people got to hear the good news. Uh, let's go on. Here's a picture of our field hospital in New York. How many of you heard about New York City? Whoever would have guessed? Go on, please. Do you see it? That little hospital down in the, I think about it, David and Goliath, the little field hospital that could, right? There it is on the edge of, field, uh, on the edge of uh, Central Park, and there's Manhattan in the background. Um, and as New York was getting overrun with COVID, our four semis in Wilkesboro got loaded up with another field hospital. It happened just a month after we had left for Cremona, Italy. So we'd never seen a year when we sent two field hospitals out at the same time. God just kept stretching us and then he would keep showing up and doing more. So we didn't know where we were going to set up. We were working with Mount Sinai. The word came while the semis were on their way, just like Joshua 3 and the priests putting their foot in the Jordan. And yes, it's dry ground. You know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what happened uh, in April when we got to go to New York and take care of folks who were hurting there. Next. Let's take a minute and just talk about what's happening right here in our own country. Uh, we've seen disasters before, but we've never seen such a, strong, a string of them. And, uh, and go on, please. We're talking about, um, well, let me encourage you with this. In, in the last 26 years that we've been serving U.S. citizens through our disaster response, through your volunteering and your giving, we've helped over 45,000 families. Think about that. 45,000 families who were hurting, lost everything, but they heard the gospel in the midst of their darkest moment. Let's go on. Here's where we are today, working in a pandemic, serving people, pointing them to Jesus. Uh, Hurricane Laura, Sally, the wildfires over on the West Coast. Moving on. And these are the places where we're doing long-term work. Do you see us up there? We're still working on Hurricane Florence. Do you remember that? We're still rebuilding homes for folks who got wiped out by Florence, as well as many other places. Next. And how many of you know about Operation Heal Our Patriots? It's one of the greatest things we get to do. For $6,000 a couple, we will invite these wounded warriors and their spouses, whose marriages are often right on the edge, up to Port Allsworth, Alaska. We will treat them like kings and queens. We will honor them and thank them for their service. And we'll do the best thing we can do for them, which is to point them to Jesus. And many of them come to Christ. And many of them rededicate their marriages. And many of their families are saved. 
and set on a whole new foundation. This year alone, we saw uh, 76 couples come. Over the last eight years, over 1,200 couples have gone out there, and they don't, they, don't, they don't just get one week in Alaska together seeing God's creation and getting marriage resiliency classes, but we commit to a lifetime of walking with them and uh, counseling them and helping them when it gets rough. Uh, many of them, again, coming to Christ. So um, I told you before that we're running toward ditches from Luke 10, uh, and the parable of the Good Samaritan, ditches like war and poverty and disaster and disease and famine. But there's another ditch, friends. There's another ditch. It's a ditch of darkness. Uh, it's all over. There are ditches like this all over the globe. This morning, there are millions of children and families who are sitting in that ditch, and they don't even know it. It's a ditch of being separated from God and not having had the chance to hear about his son, Jesus, and his great love. And so through Operation Christmas Child and the shoeboxes that you all pack, you empower a local pastor or a local church planner to have a tool to invite kids from their uh, neighborhood and their village to come hear that good news. And I'm going to invite Jenna Stevens. She's our regional manager here in the Carolinas to come share a little bit about that. Jenna? Thank you. Good morning, Liam Schaffel. Well, like Lynn mentioned, I have the privilege of serving on staff with Operation Christmas Child here in the Carolinas region. And that means that I have the privilege of partnering with you in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because not only is this precious little shoebox a tool for evangelism, uh, we with Operation Christmas Child, we don't want to stop there. We want to follow up with discipleship because we know that discipleship leads to multiplication that we see with these precious gospel opportunities each year. And so we so appreciate your partnership with the ministry that's been ongoing for many, many years now. And so I just wanted to encourage you that I'm personally still celebrating what y'all did last year. The Lord harvested um, 3,987 gospel opportunities uh, from your church here in this community. So those went out to 3,987 children around the world. And that's something that we still praise God for today. And so I just want to share with you a little bit more about The Greatest Journey. So that's the 12-week discipleship program that we follow up with. Many of the children get invited back after they receive their shoebox at an outreach event to participate in this program. And as they walk through these 12 weeks, um, this is an example of a teacher guide, but the uh, children receive a student guide as well. And so in the first four weeks, they're learning more about who this Jesus is that they heard about at the outreach event where they received their shoebox. The second four weeks is all about, okay, you now know who Jesus is. Here's how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And then the final four weeks are all about, okay, if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, we're commanded, right, in the Great Commission to go out and share our faith with others. And so here's how you can do that even at your young age. And so ask them at the end of the, their time to write down the names of nine or ten family members, community members, friends that they're committing to pray for and go and share their faith with. And they do. These children commit to doing that. And so we praise God for that multiplication that comes. And 
I just wanted to share that last year we celebrated 10 years of the greatest journey. And um, last year alone, over 218,000, excuse me, teachers were trained to implement this program in 107 countries. And so we've seen explosive growth even in the first decade of this program. And so what that means for your church, we see about in 2019, we saw about 40% of children enroll in the greatest journey that received a shoebox. So for your church, that would have been 1,595 children. About 30% then they walk through all 12 weeks. They get a graduation ceremony, caps and gowns, certificate, the whole nine yards. It's a joyful day. I've witnessed one in South Africa. And so 30% for your church, that would be 1,196 children that graduated. And then 21% report decisions for Christ. So they say, yes, I'm going to follow the Lord and commit to share my faith with others. So for your church, that would have been 837 children last year, just from your church's efforts. And so how can you participate with us, continue to send even more children on this Greatest Journey program? You can invest in these children with a gift of $6. So that sends one child um, through to participate in the program, but also receive the materials that they need to be able to do so. And with that $6, you're not just investing in the child, but you're also investing in the teacher training. So those 218,000 teachers that I mentioned, we give them equipping, we give them materials, um, and really you're partnering again with the local church. So we know and have heard so many testimonies of these materials that are received by local churches in local communities. Um, They get shared beyond that first group of children. So this helps launch children's ministries and churches, and it has even helped plant more local churches and communities, or perhaps even the first local church in their community so they don't have to walk miles to attend a church. So that's what you get to be a part of when you donate $6. You can do that through the website um, with a monthly or even a one-time gift. Again, as the Lord leads, we know um, that you pack and pray over shoeboxes and would just invite you to pray also that the children receiving your box is gonna be one of those that gets invited to participate in this program and to even... um, just have that chance of discipleship and learning more about who Jesus is. And so all of those numbers that I shared, we in Operation Christmas Child, we like to celebrate those big macro numbers that happen all over the world, but we also know that behind each gospel opportunity, the platform to share our witness about Jesus Christ is one child that can get impacted. And so we have invited Alex Nenshin uh, who as a young boy in Rwanda received a shoebox. And so we've invited him to share his powerful testimony with you this morning. So please help me welcome Alex. Good morning, church. Isn't that amazing what you're part of? Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, each and every uh, 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 ministry opportunity you had is, that's what you're part of. And God is using your church, God is is using you personally to send the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help people from when they are hurting and to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're grateful that you are part of that. So this morning, I'm I'm here here to share with you uh, just specifically how God used an Operation Christmas Church Shoebox gift to impact my life. I was born and raised in a small little country called Rwanda. And Rwanda being a tiny little country in the Central East, that country was... um, was separated, the people of Rwanda were separated in tribes. And those tribes were the Hutus, the Tutsis, and the Twa. And during the separation of the tribes, they would, people would literally measure the length of your nose to figure out what tribe you were. 
hatred was created between the Hutus and the Tutsis to the point where, in 1994, that hatred burst out into a genocide against the Tutsi tribe. From April 6 to July 4, July 4th, 1994, a million people were killed and over 400,000 orphans were left in the country. So as I, I was six years old when this was happening. I was living in, in a little village with my grandmother and my uncle and my brother and sister when all this started. And I remember when we woke up and we would hear noises from a distance and these, uh, these noises were bombs going off from a distance. Our neighbor came to us and said, hey, the, the Rwandan president was, was assassinated. They have decided to wipe out the, all the Tutsis. So since we were part of the Tutsi tribe, literally that, that same day, that's when my grandmother and my uncle were killed. And me and my brother and my sister would run from family to family. And we ran for a period of two months altogether, from family to family. I had a little faith as a little boy. Uh, my faith was my grandmother's. So watching my grandmother being taken away from me, that faith was gone. And I remember when we were running, there was no time for us to process everything that was happening. So as we ran, there were so many incidents that happened that we could have lost our lives. And I remember one day coming, uh, as we we're running, 2,000 people all running all together. Probably the most vivid way that God saved my life that I'll never forget is that as we ran, I, we came into this valley and we would hear this noise. And this noise was getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden I fell and that noise missed my head by an inch. I looked on the ground and realized that that noise was a bullet that missed my head because I had, I had slipped and fell in a cow pie. Now, I never thought I would be telling people that God used a carpet to save my life. God, 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 our God is a humorous God. He, he, he likes to work in powerful ways, but he likes to work in gross ways as well. Sometimes we don't like to see the gross part. But I tell, this, I tell you this morning to show you the power of God and what he can do. He, a God who works in mysterious ways and a God who, who uses something very insignificant to save someone's life. Even a little box filled with the, uh, so many insignificant items that he makes it, the value uh, go up when he delivers to a child. But at the end of this genocide, I was, at the end of this war, I was put in an orphanage. And it was while I was in this orphanage that Samaritan's Purse was in Rwanda already uh, responding. Because at that time, in 1994, the disaster around the world was the genocide against the Tutsi tribe in Rwanda. So they responded. They helped people physically. And they're helping people uh, spiritually as well process. And in 1993, they had taken on the project of Operation Christmas Child. And that's when, uh, in 1995, they brought shoeboxes to our orphanage. And let me tell you, as a seven-year-old, uh, in the orphanage, we were told to line up in the yard and they, they handed out these shoebox gifts. Then they said, do not open your gifts until all of them have been handed out. Now imagine telling a seven-year-old to hold their present <laughs> for five minutes, five long minutes. But we got to open the shoeboxes together and we were screaming. This time we were screaming not because we were being chased, but we were screaming because we could not contain the joy of receiving a gift for the very first time in our lives. And as I looked through the shoebox, I saw school supplies, hygiene items, toy cars, little bouncy balls, washcloths, all these fun items that brought us joy. But one of my favorite items in the shoebox was a hair comb that I actually kept a hair comb for the next three years. That's how important these items are. But the shoebox didn't stop there. The shoebox planted that seed of hope and love of Jesus Christ that today I don't have all the tangible, the physical items, but what I have today is the hope and love of Jesus Christ that was planted in my life through that shoebox. 
But a year later, I get to join a choir called African Children's Choir, and I was in Uganda, and I was learning English. And this time, that's when God started to get a hold of my heart. Because I was angry, I was bitter, I was uh, wondering and asking, does God care? If God loved his children, if God created all of us in his own image, why would he watch while a million of his children are being killed in Rwanda? And I lived in this bondage. And as I was searching and reading the Bible, I, became, I was so angry reading the Bible because it would say that we're all created in the image of God. And I would ask, does he care? Where was he? And these are the words that he used to communicate to me. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. As a nine-year-old, I did not know who the Israelites were. I did not know who the prophet uh, Jeremiah was. All I knew was a nine-year-old boy searching for something to hold on to. And I remember reading those words and realizing that God has to have a plan for my life. And that's when I stopped blaming the Lord and looked back and saw the miracles that he did to save my life. For example, when I was born, my mother had HIV AIDS. I could have gotten that virus, but I didn't. And that's how she passed away. Never knew who my father was. The people that I looked up to were my grandmother and my uncle. They both, when, we, when, when they were taken away, there was 100, 100 feet between us and the events. There was no wall to shelter us from everything. Why didn't they take our lives? From running and nothing happening to us. Running and sleeping in a cow pie. A man's weapon not working when he went to pull the trigger. And then going to an orphanage and receiving a gift for the very first time. A gift that reminded me to be a boy again. After seeing all these miracles that he did, that's when I gave my love to the Lord. But I was so angry and I was so bitter. I, did not, I, I, I accepted him in my life, but I did not want him to go deep into my heart. And that part was full of that bitterness because, and that bitterness and anger was so much so that I actually, I actually wanted to do exactly the same thing that those guys did to my uncle and my grandmother. I wanted to kill them. And that scared me, that that was in my heart. And so as we traveled with the choir here in the United States from 1998 to 2000, one of the chaperones came up to me and said, hey, Alex, what happened in your life that you're able to be here today? Tell me your testimony, tell me your story. I remember sharing that, uh, sharing what I'm telling you right now and how therapeutic that felt to share it. But then she asked me a question and she said, Alex, what if you would sit with the person who has caused you the most pain in your life? What would you do? And that's when my healing process began because I started to pray, Lord, help me to heal so that I can be able to do that. And so within this time I'm praying, I finished my time in the United States and went back to Rwanda in 2000. In 2003, I got adopted into a family in the United States. I returned and lived nowhere else. God had another sense of humor. He didn't send me to Hawaii or Florida. Are you ready for this? He sent me to Minnesota. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I love our family. It's a, it's a running joke even up to today. Uh, but we love our family. And uh, while I was in Minnesota through high school and college, I, I got introduced to Operation Christmas Child and Upak Shoeboxes every year because I knew of the impact they had on my life. And so uh, after school, I moved to North Carolina, to Boone, North Carolina, and that's where I am today. My wife and I live in, uh, live in Boone, and we love it up there. Uh, it's still cold, but not as cold as Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> 
But I will get a chance to, uh, to share this with you this morning because each and every shoebox that is packed equals to one more child who gets to hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, another miracle that happened, though, is that in 2013, before moving to Boone, North Carolina, I, moved, I, I went back to Rwanda with Operation Christmas Child to deliver shoeboxes in the same place I grew up in, in the same orphanage. It was so beautiful. It was so powerful to be in the same place I stood as a seven-year-old, this time handing out a shoebox. And we get a chance to share the gospel. And I got an opportunity to actually uh, translate the greatest journey to the kids through, uh, um, as, they, as they did one of the lessons. It was beautiful. But the most amazing thing that happened also is that God took my healing process at a different level on this trip. I had always been praying, Lord, help me to be, to be able to meet the person who has caused me the, uh, the most pain in my life. In 2008, I traveled back to Rwanda because the government had come up with this idea of uh, getting the people who committed crimes to have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And I would take him back to the villages where they committed crimes. And it was a reconciliation process. It's beautiful because many of the, um, many of the citizens, uh, many of the uh, victims were able to ask, to ask and hear testimonies from the people who committed crimes upon their families. And we're able to ask for forgiveness, each, uh, forgive each other. I went to this meeting in my village, and the only people who didn't show up was the guy who came, my grandmother, and the guy who came, my uncle. And I was so confused. And I was asking, Lord, you gave me this opportunity to come to Rwanda, yet you did not make this happen. Why? You know, I thought I was ready, but he knew that I definitely I was not ready. And it was on this trip in 2013 that... You know, since I was in the country, I tried to go back to the, to the prison to figure out, and we found out that the man who had killed my grandmother fled, but the man who had killed my uncle was still in the prison. And uh, this process would have taken about three weeks, but in about three hours, we had all the permission that we needed, and we went to the prison, and I found myself sitting across, the fr across from this guy who had killed my uncle, and I was able to ask him, do you remember me? Uh, and he would say, no, I don't remember you specifically, but I remember three children being there. And, um, uh, and, I, and I would ask him, why did you do what you did? He would say, we're, we were just, I, we, many of us were just following orders. But it was the hardest of my life. That was March 15th of 2013, the hardest of my life, but also the most freeing day of my life because that anger that I had, I had forgiven him in my heart, but to be able to sit, to sit across from him and hear this, his side of the story was the hardest thing to hear, but also the most freeing thing to hear. And so I, why do I share this with you this morning? I share this with you to give God the glory because it, there's no way in my human nature I would ever want to sit in front of him. I wanted to do exactly the same thing he did to my uncle. And we share this with you to show you this is the power of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is sent with each and every shoebox. And, um, you know, I asked I ask that question because uh, a question was asked me, Alex, what if you would sit with the person who has caused you the most pain? What would you do? And I pass on that question to you as well. Each and every one of us has a person who has caused us pain. What if you would sit with the person who has caused you the most pain? That person who has caused you the most pain is creating an image of God. In my anger and my bitterness, I did not want to see that man the way God sees him. But this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that is sent with each and every shoebox. Let me see, how many of you have packed one of these before? Let me see your hand. Almost everybody in this room, right? 
That is the good news of Jesus Christ being sent out one shoebox at a time. This morning, since 1993, this morning you just had one testimony out of 178 million testimonies that have, gone, that have been delivered. Amen? Amen. That's a big number, right? Praise the Lord. But you know what? There's many more children who are lost, as Lynn was saying, who are in the ditches. And we want to reach with those kids with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why we're grateful for a partnership so that we can reach more children with the, hope, with the hope of Jesus Christ. And so when you pack that shoebox gift, um, this is what the message, this is what, this is what the shoebox is carrying. Um, and this is what we're asking kids to hear about or to ask them to accept. Watch this video. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you are made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider, and I meet all of your needs. I want to show you great, marvelous things. Because I love you with an everlasting love. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, and I rejoice over you in singing. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. loved you and I will always love you. My question is, will you receive my love? Is that a great story or what? Uh, man, I'm going to tell you what. But that, that's just a touch of God. All right. Let me ask you a question. That, that, what happened in Alex's life? How many of you think that was worth six dollars? All right. I, now, Jen, is, that, is it six dollars for somebody to go through the... All right. We're going to pay for some this morning. What do y'all think? I'm always asking you for money. Let's do this. We can't pass the buckets because of 19. Thank God when 19 will be in hell. I'll never use that number again after this year. But guys, if we could, my uh, security, I should say, let's put buckets out the back back there and let's do about, uh, let's pay for a thousand kids to go through it this morning. That'd be $6,000. Let's do that. Is that good? Yes. Well, don't say, yeah, I want you to give. So I want you to do here. I'll tell you what, I, I got about 300 and some right here. Let's do it. And oh, wait a minute. I got my diet root beer money. I keep that up here. Here, you make sure that gets in the bucket up there. Yes, sir. And uh, let's, let's pay for a bunch of kids to go through that this morning. That, that's going to be, I love these boxes. Now, listen, 
3,900 she mentioned we did last year. That's low for us. This year we're going to do 6,000 at least, at least. So I need for you to do your part. That means you need to pack 1,400 family and we'll have all this ready to go. Do you know what I would love to know? I'd love to know that one of the boxes that my family packed did that right there. Would that not be great or what? Of course, we won't know till we get to eternity and get to meet them. But here's what I know. You cast your bread on the waters, it will come back. So trust in that. All right, I want to wrap up. I'm not going to preach. But I'm going to bring a final word to what they said. I believe it's a word from God. I believe it's a word for this moment and this time where we're living right now. People have been asking me, when you're going to talk about the stuff going on in culture, I'm fixing to give it to you right here. I have a word from the Lord concerning what's going on in our land and the crisis right now. I want you to turn me to Philippians chapter two. We're going to look at two verses in Philippians chapter two. And uh, I want to bring a word of encouragement real quick. It's going to sting a little bit. It always does when I'm up here. But I think I have a word of encouragement from the Lord for this day and for what's going on in our land right now. Are we living in a crazy day or what? All right, I knew you knew that. That's not the word. I want you to read with me from Philippians chapter two. Now, before we read it, I got to ask a question. Is Philippians chapter two in the Bible? I just wanted to make sure. Two verses, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. All right, Philippians 2, 14. We're going to read a little bit and then we'll talk about do all. Let's stop right there. Now, you know, I'm a Greek freak. Take a wild guess at what the word all really means. How about y'all in the back? Okay. Do all things without complaining. Why y'all? I didn't even said nothing. You're groaning already. And disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Find three words in there for me. You see the word pervert in there? Do you know what a pervert is? Y'all don't know what a pervert is. Well, in our culture, we think pervert, we think sexual deviant, like a dirty old man chasing young girls. And that is a pervert, by the way. In our culture, you need to point these things out now. But in the Bible, pervert, that's not what it means. Pervert means not straight. It's the same exact word as the word right beside it, crooked. God's way is the way. It's the perfect way. If everybody on this planet would do it God's way, what a great place this would be. But anytime you refuse to do it his way, that's perversion. It means not straight, perversion. All right, God is love. We're to love people. We're to love our enemies. Just like Alex bore witness of loving his enemies. If you refuse to love people, you're a pervert. You have perverted the straight way. We're called to forgive and, and forget and give it to Jesus. And if you're full of bitterness and hatred, you're a pervert. I'm going to stand here with somebody amens. Thank you. It, it is not the way. It's, the, it's perversion. I could go on and on. Anything that is not God's way is twisted. It's perverted and it's crooked. I want you to notice something. Why did they have those two words side by side? crooked, perverted. Because same thing. All right. Would anybody like to bear witness that we're living in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation? Are we screwed up or what? I knew I'd get amen out of that. 
so let's do this. Let's do this. Let's all move to Montana and get a compound and live up there till, till this mess is over. Find a word. Look in that verse. Find a word for me that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst. Do you know what the word midst means? Well, how do we say it? Middle, middle, middle of what? Middle of a bunch of perverts. Does I know what it says? Tell me where God wants me. Tucked away in Montana somewhere, hiding until he gets back. Isolating myself with a bunch of light bearers. Where does he want me? He wants me right in the middle of a bunch of perverts. So pray God, it got me in the right place. <laughs> Listen to me. There's a mindset going around that we want to get out of this dirty old world. What's God say right here? I want my people right in the middle of them. What does it say? In the midst of a crooked, perverted generation. Did y'all not know this was coming? Have you never read the Bible? You didn't know that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the son of man. You didn't know that darkness would cover the earth, deep darkness. You didn't, you didn't know people would lose their minds before Jesus got back. You didn't know we'd live in a perverted culture. Guess where we supposed to be? Guess where the king's going to plant me? Alex, that's worse than being sent to Minnesota where you're from. I mean, the beautiful country of Rwanda, tropical, and you get sent to Minnesota. Not even Jesus will go to Minnesota. It's too cold up there in the wintertime. Where are we supposed to be? Right in the middle of it. Find two more words for me in here and we're done. Verse 14, do all things without, what's that word? And I remind you, I'm a Greek freak. I love Greek. It makes me weird. <laughs> Complaining is also the root word we get our word whining from. Whining. How many of you like the word whine? How many of you know what whining means? You've either heard somebody do it or, okay. So the Bible said, I want you to be amongst a bunch of perverts. But what did it say? Without whining, find one more word for me. Latter part of verse 15. Amid the middle of a bunch of perverts, perverted generation, among whom you shine. So here's what I see. Here's what I see. See if you see this. Here's the word from God. I've decided to stop being a pervert. Aren't you proud that your preacher is not a pervert? Go on and tell him. Say, my preacher's not a pervert. I know some that are, but mine's not. I think most of us in this room have decided not to be perverts. We want to love God. We want to love our neighbors. We want to pay our bills. We want to be nice to people in restaurants. We don't want to give them the finger. Because they ain't got their mask pulled up. Can I get a witness? We've decided not to be perverts. We want to, this is the way walk you in it. We want to follow Jesus. But that's not the big decision. I decided that a long time ago. I still got another decision to make. In the midst of this perverted generation, are you ready? You know it's coming. Am I going to be a whiner or am I going to be a shiner? Ah, oh, this is good, isn't it? Am I going to be a whiner or am I going to be a shiner? I know a lot of God's people, they're not going to be perverted. They settle that, but they miss the next part. I'm not supposed to whine. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go to work and say, y'all look here. I'm to be a light that whines in a dark place and whines about the darkness or shines. Listen, light loves darkness. John chapter one said this, darkness never pushed at the light. Guess what light's always looking for? 
Guess what God's people ought to be looking for? Just go to, just go, go into a restaurant and say, is any perverts in here? I'm ready to shine on you. <laughs> you get around people, they're bitter, they're angry. Listen, they're lonely. They're confused about these days. That's your place right there. Step up, shine, son. Tell them here's what the deal is. I want to make an announcement. I know this is election season. I'm going to make an announcement. Washington does not have the answer. I don't care what happens in November. They won't have it in December either. It's not Capitol Hill. It's going to be Calvary's Hill. And you are the representative that's come to this earth to show them that Jesus is the answer. All right. Now I remind you, I'm not preaching. This is a devotional. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. Look at me in Isaiah chapter 60 at the great prophecy. I want you to see this again. Isaiah chapter 60. Let me tell you what I'm hearing from prophetic voices around the country. This is the word of God for this hour. This is the explanation from heaven of what's going on in our land right now. Isaiah chapter 60. You need to remember this. Meditate over this passage. Read carefully. The Bible said, God said, Isaiah 60, verse one, arise and whine. Is that what it says? Shine. Because your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. All right, here's the prophecy. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people. What's going on in our land? What's going on around the globe? That's not just people being bad. This is hell on earth. This is the power of darkness in the earth. When in Rwanda, when they, can you imagine one million people murdered in 60 days in a small country? Not even people are that evil. That was the demonic forces of hell. Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're seeing hell unleashed on this planet. What did the Bible say? Darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness to people. Is anybody noticing? All right, now what am I supposed to be doing in the middle of all this darkness? Whining and running? But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen on you. Dear ones, as the darkness grows darker, you're supposed to shine brighter. I'm having noticed the stars when you came in a little bit ago. You did not notice the stars when you came in a little bit ago. You ever heard anybody say the stars come out at night? No, they don't. They're there the whole time. Did anybody, an astrophysicist in here understand this stuff? The stars are there the whole time. They just don't show up till it gets dark. Guess when the light shines? You ought to be looking for darkness. Let me tell you what'll happen. If you'll obey him in this matter, watch this right here. See if this did, you didn't hear this just a bit ago. Look at verse three. Gentiles shall come to your whining. I don't need nobody else whining. I've heard all the whining I need to hear. We had dinner with a family down at the coast a little while back. The lady told me, said, I hope I don't, I don't know how to say this, but said, we're having to be more careful who we hang around with. She said, I've had all the complaining I can stand. I said, hey, hey, glory to God. Can I get a witness? It's dark out there. It's dark. It's dark. I hadn't noticed. What did Gentiles come to? Gentile in this, Gentile means don't know God. Guess what they run to? Light. They run to light. You're the person. You're it. I want you, let's, how many of you know we need to memorize scripture? You're going to be followers of Jesus. All right, here's your verse to memorize this. We're just going to memorize a little bit of it. We're going to memorize Isaiah 61a. Let's practice it together. Arise, shine. That's enough for one week. You get that? Did your mama not say to you when you was a young and rise and shine? Your God just said it to you. 
One more and we're done. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five. Let's see if Jesus confirms his word. I want you to remember that scripture. Two or three witnesses shall every word be confirmed, even in the Bible. Now, Matthew chapter five, here's the word of the Lord. God's got a word for you. God's always got a word for you. Here it is. And uh, you heard Alex quote Jeremiah 29, 11, and it, it, I love that verse. You've probably heard it before too. I know the plans I have for you for good. I'm even a God's got plans for you. Well, here they are right here. You ready? I'm going to show you the plan for you. Matthew five, verse 14. You are the whiner of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now you see if this didn't happen right here. Verse 15. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all the house. Why didn't God beam you up the moment you got saved? Come on, Scotty. I come. There's only one reason you're here. There's nothing you can do in heaven that you can't in here. You can't do in heaven except one thing. What's that? You know what it means? Put on a lampstand. He said, brother, Brian, I married into the most dysfunctional, screwed up, perverted family. Guess who put you there? Y'all elbowing each other. Guess who put you there? He doesn't plant you. Listen, this ain't, this ain't it in here. This is where the light comes to hang around and celebrate. Out there's where the light shines. You saw I work with a bunch of idiots. Bingo. <laughs> Got you in just the right place. He strategically places his people in darkness so they can whine about it. Now, are y'all getting this? So they can shine. Let's read the last one. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men. What kind of men? Perverted. Let your light so shine before the perverts. that they might look at you and go, dang, if I want to go to church where they do, them whining all the time. So they might look at you and go, what's different about you? You're in the same mess I'm in. Why do you have peace? Why is there a joy about you? Listen to me. It's not about being smart. It's about shining. I'm in high school. I didn't know Jesus. Senior in high school. And I was, I was uh, I'll just say bad. That'll cover it all. I was bad. And I was a smart aleck bad. Ain't the only one worse than bad, smart aleck bad. And uh, I was in high school and there was a girl, she was a cheerleader and we weren't romantically inclined toward each other, but she loved Jesus. And she would talk to me about Jesus. And I would, I would, uh, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be ugly to her. I'd just be sort of, I don't need that mess. But there was something about her. She didn't preach at me. She cared about me. And I'd watch her life. There was just something about her that was attractive even to a pagan. Can I get a witness that light shines? And one day there was a group of people right there and there was a group around and she said something to me about it and I, I said something smart aleck. Just I cut her. And I remember I thought that'll shut her up. And I looked at her and tears running down her face. And she said, you can say whatever you want. She said, you'll never stop me from loving you and you'll never stop Jesus from loving you. And that's what I looked at her and I said, there has got to be something to this Jesus stuff. I mean, you know what that is? I'm sure she didn't know anything about the third coming, pre-millennial, post-millennial, or she didn't know Greek or Hebrew or homebrew or any kind of brew probably. But I know this, she knew Jesus. 
and she was shining in a dark place. All right, I, got an, I want to make an announcement. Here's the good news. It's going to get worse before it gets better. You don't have to amen that because I've read the Bible. But let me tell you something. I, am, I was born for such a time as this. I was put here for such a time as this. In the darkness that engulfed that young man's life, guess what the light was? And I'm not just pushing shoeboxes this morning, although I'm pushing them pretty hard. I love these things. You know what that was right there? That was light coming into the darkness for about $15 that changed the young man's life and the effect that it had. Listen, go into these restaurants and you be the light of the world. You want to get crazy? You want to get really radical and crazy? You can do this where you live. You can shine in the house. Go home this afternoon and say, look here, baby. We, have, we know more than the apostles knew. We're not called to know, we're called to shine. I got to quit male illustration. This is a good illustration. You fixing the air, right? This is a good one. Are you ready? Remember this because it's good. Do you might remember Charles Wesley? I mean, he didn't go to church here. <laughs> Years ago, a man named Charles Wesley had a brother named John. John and Charles Wesley started the Methodist Church. They got kicked out of the Church of England for preaching the gospel. Imagine that. They came to America and they began to preach in the 1700s and God lit this nation up through that great awakening through John and Charles Wesley, Whitfield, different people. And uh, Charles Wesley went into, it, he went into a hard place because sometimes even people that love God can find themselves in a hard place. If I can't get amen out of that, something's wrong. We can go through tough times. And he's going through a tough time and uh, he didn't understand it. I don't have to understand it. I just have to know who holds tomorrow. And he went home that evening. His wife was just sobbing. She was almost hysterical. She was crying. And he said, what, what's wrong? What's wrong, woman? Back in, you called your wife woman. Adam started it. She should be called woman. So take it up with him. And he went home. She just sobbing and she just crying. He couldn't. Get, finally, she said, he's dead. He's dead. He's died. Well, he's upset now because who has died, woman? She's upset. She couldn't tell him. Finally, he sat her down on the couch there and he said, woman, who has died? She said, God did. Said, God's dead. Said, God has died, Charles. Now he's mad. Now he's mad at her. And he said, foolish woman. Said, God hadn't died. Why would you say something so foolish? Who told you God had died? She said, well, nobody. She said, I've just been watching the way you've been acting lately. And by the way you've been acting, I knew he surely must have died. She got him, didn't she? And Charles Wesley wrote in his journals, my anger turned to deep conviction. Like my God wasn't big enough to handle the mess I was in. And he said, I, I quit being ugly with her and I asked her to forgive me and asked God to forgive me. And he said, I started living like God was alive even though I was in a mess. Can I get a witness that the word of the Lord is quit thinking you can vote the darkness out and start shining right in the middle of it? Oh, yes. That's the word of the Lord. All right. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. I love going to church. I love being down here with the, these folks are my tribe. We believe the same thing. We love the same thing. We like the same thing. We cheer for you and love you. But dear Jesus, this is not where the light shines. I praise you and thank you. It's in the restaurants. It's in the homes. It's in the schools. It's in the plants. It's in the offices in the bars. 
Thank you that that's where the light shines. I, I, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I commission every one of them this morning to be an official light bearer for the Son of God. Wherever they go, buses, taxi cabs, busy streets, ball games, just the love and the peace and the joy and the hope of Jesus everywhere. The smile of Jesus. I believe you for that. I'm not going to let the darkness get on me. Lord Jesus, I'm going to shine in the darkness. And I commission every one of these in the name of Jesus to be official shiners. And your word said all things without complaining. So today we repent of whining and we start shining. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray glory to God for his goodness. Amen.